0: Welcome to the Good People Podcast, where each episode we explore what it means to be good by talking to everyday heroes, philanthropists, altruists, and do-gooders. I'm Kelsey Timmerman, author of the Where Am I series, Where Am I Wearing, Where Am I Eating, Where Am I Giving. And basically on this podcast, we talk to people who give a damn, and today I'm joined by someone who gives a damn, my good friend, Jay Mormon. Jay, how are you doing?
1: I'm great. I'll give you all the dams I've got. No. You, need, you need one. You need I a need big one. dam on that pond of yours.
0: Oh my gosh, I do. I need a beaver first, but that's a whole long... That's a
1: whole podcast. Yeah, let's let that,
0: that is, go. People kind of roll their eyes and walk the other direction when I start talking about my, my beaver problem. Um, so anyhow, <laughs> during this time of injustice and inequality, uh, which has become just abundantly apparent in our society with the pandemic, with... Um, you know, with with the murder of George Floyd and the protests that have happened, and it's this time like we kind of ask ourselves, what what do we do? How how do we be good? What do we put our efforts into? And but before we get into that, is I want each to kind of share like what we've been, where our heart has been, what we've been thinking about, what we've been trying to do in this just crazy time of a global pandemic plus. Just the blatant racism of our society is just there for us to see and to uh, react to. Uh, before we get to that, uh, I want to preface this by saying that the part we're recording right now is uh, post uh, George Floyd, and the part that we recorded with our guest today, Eric Henry, I'll we'll get to more in a little bit. Uh, that was before all of that, so we don't really talk in that part about anything about protest we talked a little bit about the pandemic so i just want to say that up front i'll probably say that again because uh listening well uh, if you don't have that in mind it might seem a little bit weird that we're totally just glossing over that yeah and i think right in the future we'll uh we've already started talking about you know what what can we do to kind of address the uh, have a conversation around um the systemic racism and, and george floyd and the protest um so that'll be in a future conversation, but but yeah, we're in the middle of a pandemic and and societal upheaval on many different levels. And Jay, uh, do we do you march? Do you protest? Do you get money. Do you plant a garden. Do you shelter so in place. The crawl a hole and binge watch Netflix. utrid the godless Viking. We both yes. utrid what's this, the last last kingdom?
1: Yes, I cannot yeah. stop watching that show. That is all I've done for the greater good since this <laughs> whole thing started. I can't. You and our friend, Dan got me on that show and I can't stop. You know, that's, I think it is a good question though, is what are we doing? What, and so many people I think are, it's strange that I think all of us have been knowledge. Well, the people we're around and our friends, we're all knowledgeable. We, uh, at least to some level, have some understanding and empathy about um, systemic racism. It's not the first time you and I have talked about it. Um the virus certainly illustrated that in so many ways. And then of course, George Floyd and the so many others, unfortunately that follow that have followed that same horrible path, um, brings tears to your eyes every time you even begin to contemplate it. You know, for me, it has been such an overwhelming amount of stress. Uh, it's been a stress that has been one that it is not, it's not like the, you know, like the Germans are bombing us in London during world war two. There's, it's not falling from the sky, but there's this, there's this morning of what we had and what we don't have. Um, and, you know, it's, it's seeing friends, it's going to the store, it's doing all those things. And then these protests hit and all of a sudden there's this mourning for what America should be and what it's not. Um, and, you know, for me, it is, I think what I've been trying to do is, is a number of things. One is just picking up books again and thinking about the choices I'm reading to educate myself, to let others speak to me, Um, not consuming a ton of media on any side in any way. um, But, um, you know, taking it from people who are writing about their experiences, Um, restarting the new Jim Crow, for example, which I've finished and I want to reread. I know my wife, Karen, is reading white, fragility which should be interesting i'll read that after her
0: i've got and an then, unread copy right here jay oh there it. you go white fragility yep. as well yep. i feel like you're the cliche white person who's started it and hasn't continued to read because other things in my life and, well you know, that hap- like, that happens too yeah um
1: and then i guess the the third thing is just you know this sounds really it's very privileged too i guess but we started a, a an herb and tomato garden and we've been using our back patio a lot more and really spending time just contemplating the earth and spending time together, um, turning down the normal noise and, and busyness mm-hmm. of the day. And I think, uh, that has been helpful to just, I don't know. We're not here for a long period of time and you got to stop and smell the roses yeah. quite literally.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've, Sometimes, you know, I like to go for walks in the woods and I'm not sure that it helps me not that I'm like walking around saying this, but I thought that it occurs to me often uh, during personal times that are tough or just in societal times. Like, man, the trees don't care, you know, not saying that we all shouldn't care, but like there are forces on this planet and life that are so much such a longer perspective than than we do. Um, do, you, how, do you know how old the oldest tree in, on Earth is?
1: Um, I think I remember I saw that on an atheist debate. Um, something like 10,000 years old or something,
0: isn't it? It's the, well, it depends on what type of tree you're talking about. So there's a root system that's 10,000 years old that shoots oh. up trees and that tree might die, but the root system's 10,000 years old. So technically, it's a tree, but it, the, the part that's 10,000 years old is underground. Um, there's a tree in the United States that's 5,000 years old. And just uh, like, I mean, that like that predates writing, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: You know, like we were using, just getting out of stone tools. Yeah. Yep. Like, And this is a living thing. So I feel like that's a really. And it
1: is seen it all. That's what I love about trees, just if they could speak. Right. Yeah. But, um, so
0: do I win a prize by getting the 10,000 right? Or I think stress? you do. You win a I lot. I deserve of something co-hosting the good people podcast oh, a lifetime <laughs> well <Wow. laughs> that's a, lot. a life sentence i don't know how to react a life to life sentence uh, we'll record an so episode what, every week or every two months for the rest of my life um yep.
1: so what uh so what have you been doing i know you've been very busy i follow you on social media and uh my goodness yeah, lots of new things I, in
0: your household lots of new things happening um uh yeah i mean i might get into some of those after a conversation because they really tie into what eric has to say um but in terms of just like the pandemic and the protests like uh harper and i took my daughter harper and with my friend um matt and his daughter claire and and a friend kevin and his daughter ellie to the protests and we and we marched and it was really peaceful and muncie and it was amazing to see Uh, I mean, I I heard reports of like 2,000 people, like one of the largest gatherings ever in in Muncie of of people protesting or marching for something. And it was, um, it was a really, it was just great to see the amount of people that were out there. Uh, You know, that said, there's also this like, well, you know, do I feel like I did anything good in all of this? Um, Right. Right. um, And, just by w- walking out there and with people, and and I, you know, I didn't take any. I took photos, but I didn't share any of the photos. Um, and then we're in this age of, well, if, if you don't, should should you share it, uh, a photo of you marching in support of Black Lives Matter, or is that just me kind of trying to prop up myself? Or if I do, if I go there and I don't share it, is that not doing the right thing? And we're just this age of just don't know exactly what to do but the most important thing and and why i was there is to um, support the movement but then also to show my daughter like this is something Mm. that's important solidarity
1: with the movement and an example for others yeah
0: and I, i think that she'll want to look back on 2020 20 years from now and like yeah i remember i was i marched yeah um so but there's also this like do you you or don't you or question your intentions. why am i here why am i sharing this or am i speaking out and sometimes it can just like move you to inaction and silence which is probably not not the way um a really good yeah. example of this um of this like what do you do in this time um regarding the uh, uh pandemic uh one of my favorite authors, Dave Eggers, wrote a opinion piece in the New York Times called "Flattening Truth on Coronavirus." And hmm. so he you kind know, of sets up this construct where there's the uh, an answer, and then there's the the public. Okay, so or the people. So um, here it starts. Uh, I just cut a section from it. So the answer, the answer that was given is like, "So just stay inside and you'll be fine. Order stuff online. Support your local restaurant." And then the people are like, whew. Okay, we can do that. And then the answer says, but, but do so knowing that you're putting the lives of everyone at risk, the cooks, right. the perks, the delivery people. I'm actually a bit shocked by your selfishness and the cavalier way you're sacrificing the lives of people who have no choice but to expose themselves to grave danger during a pandemic. Then the people say, it sounds like you're saying we shouldn't order stuff to be delivered. answer is you shouldn't unless you want local businesses to die. And then the people say, so we should support local businesses? The answer says, absolutely, while risking their workers' lives. Yes, order food, eat it, watch the news about the pandemic that can't be stopped, get plenty of sleep, and start smoking. Turns out smokers are less likely to get sick. I don't know, there's a link to that. I'm not sure if that's (laughs) true or not. Uh, Which only makes sense. So remember to exercise, go for a run. Then they get into about, uh, is it responsible or irresponsible to go to a park? So we're at this time of like, yeah, it's hard. What do yeah. what do you do? Stay home and well, do nothing. Well, it's
1: it's true for the pandemic. It's true for the protests. Well, I posted this. I put my picture up of this. I put a you know a black square on Instagram. No, don't do that. Yes, you should do that. You should give money to these charities. Wait a minute, don't. Yeah, it gets hard to know. And you know what? It comes back to. I say all the time is a lot of this comes back to intention,
0: right? Yeah,
1: you you have to have the right intentions, and we have to create change. So how do we do that? Let's. You know much of this is just being quiet and understanding um that's probably the best place to start at least my opinion is a is just kind of your standard white guy let's 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 listen first and then go from there but it is it's hard to know in all in all these tragedies and problems we're facing what's the right step it's, yeah. it's hard to know
0: well that's why um even though we talked about to eric uh during the pandemic but before george floyd before the protest he has a lifetime of doing really important and meaningful things. And so um, when we came up with the idea of doing this podcast, I knew that he would be one of the people that I wanted an excuse to talk to at length. And I've had a chance to visit with Eric in person and uh, visit his factory and see some of his farm and go to some of the co-ops he's a part of. But um, I, I think it's a really important conversation to have right now, even though it doesn't quite address maybe the day to day. That is being thrown at us, um, but it, it does in some ways. But, so uh, I'll go ahead and read Eric's bio. So Eric Henry's journey into s- sustainability, I can't even say it. Eric Henry's journey into sustainability started January 1st, 1994, the day NAFTA, which is a North American free trade agreement, was enacted. And he saw the business he started in the late 70s completely destroyed. He realized then there is more to a business than a bottom line and changed to run um, a company called TS Designs which is a t-shirt company, garment company, that focuses on the triple bottom line of people, planet, profit. So the vision of TS Designs is to make the highest quality printing apparel in a domestic, transparent, and trackable supply chain. TS Designs became the first certified B Corp in North Carolina. So we talk about B Corp, we talk about the triple bottom line in some of this. Um, He's been on the ground floor of forming several local uh, cooperatives in his community, including Burlington Biodiesel Co-op in 2001, a company Shops Market, which was a grocery store that I think closed in 2018, uh, and Burlington Beer Works, which is the 10th co-op brewery in the country and the first in North Carolina open stores with over 2,000 owners. I think it's around 2,300. Um, so he gets into kind of how that all started Uh, Eric's other collaborative efforts include the board of the Burlington Downtown Corporation, an organization that works to enhance downtown Burlington as a cultural, historic, social, and economic center of the community. Eric also serves on the advisory board of Elon University's Doherty Center for Entrepreneurial Leadership in the Love School of Business. He has served on the board of Alamance Chamber of Commerce, uh, NC Green Power, Green America, Business for Local Living, Economies, and Specialty Graphic Imaging Association, or he was chairman, whatever, it's lots of stuff. Uh, so Eric is um, involved in a lot of things. And I just through the years, I've known him now for probably more than 10 years. Like, I remember him filling up his car with vegetable oil and driving it around and, <laughs> and, had, it, and had a place where other people could fill up on vegetable oil too. And then he went to like an electric car and then he started getting chickens and, um, and in some ways, I feel like I'm following in his footsteps a little bit or looking to him for guidance about how do you live um, your life with the ethics that you hold so important. And, and You how know,
1: and you with that it. impressive resume and kind of pushing the envelope and so many things as a progressive, um, he's a guy you want to get a beer with.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. He's a good dude. So yeah. without further ado, Eric
2: Henry. Eric Henry, welcome to the podcast. How's it going? Oh, so glad to be here from a uh, finally sunny day in Burlington, North Carolina. It's been raining all week. We've had like five inches of rain, so uh, I'm looking forward to be on the other side of that window there sometime later today.
0: Yeah, we got connected more than a decade ago um, through, I think, uh, I wrote a book called Where Am I Wearing? is about the garment industry, and you've been in the garment industry for years, and I've just really enjoyed following your journey. You seem to me like someone who um, tries to live out their ethics and beliefs in every facet of your life from the car that you drive to your garden to your community involvement. It's just something I've really always uh, admired about you. So I'm really excited to have you on the Good People podcast. It makes a lot of sense.
2: Well, thank you. and looking for the opportunity to take a deeper dive.
0: And uh, Jay is also here with us. How's it going today, Jay?
2: It's going great. I'm
1: looking forward to some sun this weekend, and especially looking forward to this conversation. So, let's
0: keep yeah, going. Sure. So, uh, uh, Eric, your background, uh, your story—I mean, your story probably begins before this, but what, what I'm aware of it is uh, you were in the garment and textile and apparel industry for for years, maybe even I mean, decades now. And uh, even pre-Nafta, like what was the North American Free Trade Agreement, which kind of led to some of the jobs, uh, going to other places, the outsourcing of labor and production. Um, So what was life like in the heady pre-NAFTA days of the textile and apparel industry? What was your life like?
2: Well, I like to tell people, I mean, I've been in the business 40 years and I started my first business in the t-shirt world in 1978. And when I I tell these young kids in 1978, we didn't have computers yeah. internet, And they had fax machines, much less cell phones. So business was definitely a lot easier and e- definitely more local focused. So. Um, so what was your T-shirt business? Like, what were you? Were you like following the Grateful Dead sound T-shirts? No, uh, I just saw an opportunity. I was at NC State studying okay. agriculture and I just saw an opportunity. There were a lot of T-shirts on campus and the people that were producing the T-shirts didn't know who are the people to contact, who the events were. So I kind of had that inside connection. So I started a business called creative screen designs. Mm. And um, then I built that up. I transferred to that light blue school, which some people know was UNC university, of North Carolina chapel. Hill. It was going to be an econ major. At that time I had. Oh, uh, what we call college reps. So I probably had a, a, a dozen other people working for me was probably representing every major college in North and South Carolina. Wow. Um, enjoy what I was doing, um, making good money. And I was going into that senior year of college and I did what my parents didn't want me to do, which I quit. Mm. Uh, Because, you know, again, I I just, I I thought it was an opportunity. And so I I, I quit UNC with 18 hours and uh, I was already working with my business partner at the time who had a company called TS Designs. Mm. So we incorporated TS Designs he became the CEO and I became the president and we went off to the races and we quickly evolved to what they call high volume contract screen printing. And so, um, this was again, the time when I first started, everything was done by, you know, basically printed by hand. So we would still do it that way. Automation came into play. Uh, we were one of the, the first on the East coast to, to, make that investment into automatic equipment. Uh, we grew our business to over hundred employees, Uh, We're moving about every two years. Uh, We got in the building that we're in now, uh, 20,000 square foot building, 100 employees. We had our client base for companies like Nike, Tommy, Gap, Polo. Uh, I always like to tell people pre-NAFTA, Nike's apparel headquarters was in Charlotte, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And the reason that was pre-NAFTA, you know, 98% of our clothes at that time were made in the U.S. And it was pretty much made in North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, Virginia. So Nike had a big presence in North Carolina. We were one of their major suppliers. And then January 1, 1994, NAFTA becomes ratified. And within two years, we went from 100 employees to 14. Wow. The brands could not get out of the country quick enough. And again, I'm not going to just hang on the brands. The consumer didn't really care, I would say. You know, the consumer uh, said, hey, I can buy more of this stuff cheaper, the brands definitely made a heck of a lot more money. And so everything that I was told to do in business, which is invest in your people, invest in your business, um, we did everything and pretty much it got blown away overnight. So that was my realization. There's more to a business than a bottom line. So, uh, I mean, when we went down, and this was a big textile community. This is where Burlington Industries was start. That's how I got to Burlington because my dad worked for Burlington Industries. So our community was devastated. Uh, lots of country, companies were went out of business. A lot of jobs were lost. Um, you know, it's Ross Perot sound that giant sucking sound. It hit 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 hard. So all of a sudden, the banks that were banging on our door to give us money were trying to quickly see how they could foreclose on our, our building. We danced around with bankruptcy. Um, but my business partner, I, Tom Sinead, says, you know, this is something we. We like doing this, but we have to we have to start from scratch again. So we rebuilt a business, but this time we rebuilt on the idea of a triple bottom line: people, planet, profit. We changed our mission statement to be a successful company while looking after the people, the planet, profit.
0: And where did you where did you uh, kind of? I mean, I've heard the triple bottom line before, just because the work I've done is that something that you stumbled upon, or is that something you just kind of came to
2: on your own? Oh no no no! There were there were um, God, who are the early thinkers? Uh, Ray Anderson, um, Paul Hawkins. Um, God, I can't remember this. There was a four or five people that were kind of the real uh, pioneers in this way of thinking of a uh, business impact of a triple by line. So, you know, I've made a point in that two-year transition to read everything, actually met all these people personally, talked to them, Um, and we were in, and we, as we committed, we changed our mission based upon this triple bottom line. And, um, and again, when you say that in the the mid nineties, people say, wait a minute, triple, business is all about the bottom line, bottom line, bottom line, bottom line. And again, profits are one aspect of business. But I think when you look where we are today and you work with business that are single bottom line focused, I think a lot of the problems and challenges that we have and have had are caused by people that are thinking short-term maximize a return for a few. And then a lot of people get hurt by that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you can, you can bet that, that move out of the country, it'd be interesting to go back and I haven't done this for Nike specifically, but um, if you look back at whatever their shareholder value was at that point, their profitability probably went a lot higher than it was. They sold more for less cost and, um, probably lower quality and all those other things based on just the shifting of resources. And they made a lot more, which their shareholders and board were probably really
2: happy about that. And I always remember two stories around that right before NAFTA was ratified. There was this big meeting in Greensboro, North Carolina, where we're probably about 20 miles and the two biggest textile companies in the world at that time were Broughton Industries and a company called Guilford Mills. So, uh, we were invited to this big meeting in Greensboro and they had all the big, you know, uh, people from the U S government and Mexican government, the Canadian government. all, all and, and I, anyway, this big, big event. And I, I never, I made some comment to my business partner that day because they're talking about how, what they're, they were pitching is what NAFTA is going to do for us is expand our market. We'll have all these customers that we can sell to. And I made some comment to my partner at the time. I said, that, that person in Mexico that at the time was making maybe $5 a day or something like that. Again, this is in, in the early 90s. I said, they're not going to buy an $18 Nike t-shirt. And it just will not to happen. I mean, we saw the writing on the wall. So what these big companies wanted to do, Broughton industry and Guilford Mills, which they did do, they were thinking, hey, we can move our manufacturing down to Mexico, ship it back up here, and we're going to make more money. Interesting, both of those companies, not entirely based upon this, but made the big jump to Mexico, and it was such a fiasco that both of those companies went into bankruptcy wow. and uh, because it, it, it failed horribly in the standpoint of just building the manufacturing infrastructure. Now, the other story was it's probably a month or so after NAFTA was done, I, I had a friend that was doing stuff for Tommy Hilfiger that since this, um the governor of Mexico gave him a building or built him a building or something like that. 30,000 square brand new building to do business. And he was just quote screen printing like we were doing. So I went down there to, to see him, invite him down there because we worked on the same contract. Literally the hotel I was staying in in Mexico city, Mexico city. There were my contacts of both Nike and Polo were in that hotel at the same time in Mexico. So, I mean, we quickly saw the writing on the wall. They're going to move this whole package that we're doing here in the, in the Carolinas to Mexico, which they did. And, um, I mean, we, I mean, that business moves so fast, your head would spin. And again, it didn't stay in Mexico very long. It went into Central America, Central America to Asia, Asia to Africa. And as I says, you know, they're they're checking, you know, the textile industry for hundreds of years, has has chased cheap labor. And so, um, well, it's after after we're gonna go to the moon, Mars. I mean, it's, yeah. it's an unsustainable model, but our industry continues to do that. And um, but well, I mean, yeah, it was gonna challenge a way that
0: though, don't you? Yeah. I mean, you're kind of, um, I mean, the the way that you modeled your business now is not that way. And no. I mean, you're it to be. I'm sure it's challenging, but it seems to be successful. I mean, you're you're in business all these years later um we're still in business that's the main thing yeah (laughs) we're we're still still we still got a pulse and we're still breathing (laughs) so how has your how has that impacted your community that that shift from what it was like before pre-nafta to post-nafta like what does that look like for families and in burlington
2: well you had a couple of things going on at the same time not only the globalization of the marketplace textiles and whatever so a lot of manufacturing movement, But the other thing that was helping, it, I mean, it was happening during that same period of time is we were going from the, the mall environment from Main Street. So, again, the community which I've grown up in, Alamance County, I've been here over 60 years. I mean, we used to have a vibrant downtown Main Street because everything was Main Street. There was no malls. And then we, we built one of the first malls in the state, I believe, Hollywood Mall. So then we had the the localized sucking sound of strip shopping centers and the mall, and then, you know, the big box stores. So it was the globalization of, of retail was happening at the same time. So, I mean, uh, local communities like ours were just getting the shit kicked out of them. Um, and it's been a struggle ever since. Um, We've got another struggle we're facing right now opening up Main Street with, with the COVID situation. So it's, it's it's been extremely tough, tough road. But I guess one thing I, I like to say for myself and have gone through NAFTA, I feel like COVID for me is a second time at bat. A second Mm. time at bat of building those communities and those supply chains that are local, transparent, and equitable. Uh, Because what I think COVID is doing to us, unlike NAFTA, NAFTA just impacted a sector. So if you weren't involved in the, the textile or apparel industry, or if you didn't really care about where your clothes came, I mean, it didn't really impact you so again when you guys maybe lived it, 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 you know it didn't didn't cause any issues or problems. with covid it's having some impact on everybody some way somehow to your health to your family to your business to your supply chain blah blah, blah. so now we have a global mm-hmm. disruption and there's a great article i would recommend you check out and share with your listeners it's uh the uh website's called the forge f-o-r-g-e and they wrote an article called gaslighting Mm. and what they taught you anyone y'all read that i feel like i've seen that is that the one you yeah that's the one i shared yeah Yeah. yep. i mean as i says corporate america the big boxes they're going to be fine through covid they're going to be fine without their ppp or the edil or their care they're going to be okay but they're going to spend billions of dollars to get us back into their stores while Main Street is burning down. And if we don't help Main Street, if we don't help Main Main Street, we're going to be in a worse situation after COVID because we're going to have another global disruption. I mean, it might be a pandemic. It might be a trade war. Hopefully not a war, but I mean, we're in a global economy. We're not going to put that genie back in the bottle. But what we can do is build a more resilient local community. And what Mm -hmm. ours is around is textiles and food. That's what we do well. And, but we gotta, we gotta change the mindset. Is looking beyond just the price. That's what's got us in this damn problem in the first place. We got focused on how cheap I can get shit. And, um, and we don't realize what's happened to our neighbor and to our environment until it's too damn late.
1: Yeah. Eric, that's something we've talked about on here is this COVID thing certainly has made us think about and appreciate You know, just those local businesses. So, you know, as an example, and of course, there's a global picture to this too, but I've talked to Kelsey about, you know, I was getting subscriptions of coffee beans at this place and that place um, through different national and international places. Well, we have a local coffee shop that produces really high quality coffee, and it's made me realize I go in there sometimes, but if they don't stay, going our downtown it's one piece of our downtown and it starts to disintegrate right so i should be spending that money there because i value those people those individuals i know them they connect the community um and uh if we continue to just you know i'll take a shot at them but if you just go to walmart to buy the cheapest coffee beans you can buy well you're going to get what you ask for you're going to get a walmart and you're going to get a best buy and that's going to be your whole
2: town and we have three walmarts super walmart's serving 160,000 people in Alamance County. Wow. And, and again, I have no problem with globalization. I'm, you know, I'm not these, you know, uh, anti-global. I'm just looking for balance. Yeah. And when your largest retail in your community buys nothing from your community, it's just out of balance. Yeah. And it's and it getting people to understand. And again, it's just, I don't have, it, the challenge too we have is that because we have this tremendous economic disparity which is going to be greatly magnified by covid you know there's some people you know that aren't fortunate as others that that they need to make that dollar stretch out so they're going to go buy that hamburger walmart that you have no idea where it came from you don't want to know where it came from but i understand that um and i don't have the answer for that people what we can do is the people like us that have some ability to make those choices to make better choices
0: so what are all some of the um ways because i know you're really engaged in your local community from when i when i went to visit we visited a, a co-op that you're a member of i think that we visited a place i don't was open yet that was a brewery um as well that i think is a kind of community owned um yep. and i used to work at a store in north carolina called townsend birds from a company you made their yep. shirts Yeah. Uh, I wore your shirts before I even knew who you were or, or uh, what the name of your business was. And so you've always been so, and what, what are all, some of the things that you are engaged in on a, on a local level that, and that you're most excited about?
2: Give me one second. I'm going to start a zoom meeting on this. Okay. My, they're going to have a meeting in my office on my laptop. <laughs> okay. That way. No be worries. right back.
0: Yeah. No problem. So you can just cut this out.
2: I can pause it. I think understand how that works the, the, the crazy world with we, now uh, we've set up three zoom offices i've got one this is our mini conference room we have a large conference room and then my office in there so i took my, yeah
1: talk uh, about talk about <laughs> tech that finally established itself quickly
2: yeah but we need to talk about the digital divide because that's back to my campaign side i can't have meetings at my house which is about 15 miles south on a farm because our internet sucks out there and so now we're trying to do all these people homeschooling and stuff like that. Yeah. they can't. You know, it's a whole another thing. Oh, I feel, I
0: feel you too. We live out in the boonies, and there's no broadband. We have like, a, what's it called? Uh, uh, we have it on literally on top of a grain bin that we have to have direct line of sight to, and it's really slow um, and not not reliable. And so yeah, I feel that too. That there's and it's more expensive.
2: Well, I mean, and again, these problems that were experienced with COVID, I'll go back to question about Brian Bearworth and say, I mean, they, they didn't like, oh my gosh, we didn't know we had those problems. They were there. We just elected not to do anything about them. What COVID has done is exposed the weakness, our digital divide, access to health care, access to living wage jobs, all these problems just like, oh my gosh, I know they're right there. Um anyway, back to your question when I left is um I helped start a uh, the first Quarterland Brewery in the state, the 10th in the country, called Burlington Beer Works. My hat there's from. Um, we have 2,300 owners. Uh, we bought three buildings downtown Burlington, made one building, and we're a brew on premise and restaurant. And COVID-19 has literally kicked our ass. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I think the uh, the restaurant and bar industry are going to have the hardest slog coming back. I mean we're in Manufacturing, essential Business. I mean we we were a lot more agile. Uh I mean pre-COVID, we were rocking man. I mean we perfect a great product, great location, great customers. I mean, but that just boom hit the wall and um we got uh we're doing phase two in our opening back up, which basically means um twenty percent can open up and but what we're having to do to make those numbers work and I'm working with our city now, they gotta give us some more space outside because twenty percent open in a restaurant, numbers still don't work. Um so again, the the, the whole reason of um yeah, I helped prior to that one on the, I helped start a cooperative grocery store built in the Weaver Street model. And yeah. unfortunately after seven years, uh we closed that. Mistakes made, lessons learned. Um I hated that. Um, a lot of time, a lot of community money that outraised was lost. Um, we took that as what we, you know, rolled in the Brown and Beer Works, um, kind of came up from, but I'm, I'm interested in building community, excuse me, building businesses that are owned by the community. Because again, end of the day, you know, I'm interested in the community, not interested in me. Uh, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll eventually move, die, go away or something like that. So, um, making investments in your, your, uh, community is something I'm very interested in. So
0: someone who's interested in, uh, you know, building a business in their community and like the co-op model, Mm -hmm. I'm sure that's like, you know, we could talk for probably a week on how to do that, but what would be like a good first step for people who hear that and, and feel like they want to do something and kind of invest in that way in their community?
2: Well, there's a couple of national cooperative organizations, um, that would be the next step. And then what we did with, um, Brunton beer works. I mean, I, I reached out. There was a, the first cooperative brewery was black star in Austin, Texas. Mm. So I did you know, the whole thing about co-op is cooperation. So I yeah. called them up and said, Hey, I like what you're doing. I like to come down and hang out with you and learn more about it. It's short. Sure. So I flew down to Austin and uh, hung out with them and learned more about it. And, um, they were, you know, it's all about cooperation. So they were very open with their business plan, their financials. And, um, it's, it's you know, that, especially, co- that's all, uh, there's the idea of sharing and cooperation. So that's a very easy thing to step into. And especially the grow the co-op grocery store, which you were aware of, Weaver Street, we are in Carver. uh God, they're about $35 million business now. Wow. Um, yeah. They had
0: really good chocolate chip cookies. I think I spent $35 <laughs> million. I <laughs> i missed those is. cookies. Holy yeah. crap. Those are good.
2: So, uh, but they were very helpful as we did our co-op in Burlington. But as, again, just... You yeah, know I wish I could go back and change a few things, um, but unfortunately that, that didn't work, and, and now we've got this thing of COVID, and I'm telling our city I said, if you don't step up and start helping us, um, you know we got a, a two million dollar investment in this brewery, and um, we're on the ropes. So um,
0: what does uh you know, membership look like for, for one of the 2,300 members?
2: The way we structure it in North Carolina, you know every, every state's different, is you buy an ownership for a 100 bucks and you're actually buying a, a, a share stock. Uh, that gives you the right to vote, the right to run board of director, uh participate um, in annual meetings and events for uh, members. You can't give away or give discounts on alcohol in North Carolina. But as I said, essentially it's a hundred bucks. So I tell people, you know, you spend a hundred dollars all over the place. So don't, you know, I have one guy after coming shops closed, literally I was giving a speech and raised his hand and, uh, wanted to confront me that he lost a hundred dollars in company shops called by business. And I said, I'm sorry. Yes, you did lose a hundred dollars, but I can tell you, you put some zeros behind that and tell what I lost. So um anyway, but what that does do and again, this is based on North Carolina law the way you call it to work is that the hundred dollars gives you the right to be a part of this group $20,000. But then what we can do is we can go to those twenty three hundred and they have the right to look at a perspectives and then buy non-voting preferred stock. So we don't want to dilute the ownership value. So that owner that joins today would have the same rights and privilege that I have, but then they can also, again, loan money, uh, but it's preferred stock with non-voting 10 year term. There's a couple of bells and whistles, but it allows us to, and we raise about a, a quarter million dollars with that a system, and it allows you to do it without having to register with the um Federal Trade Commission, all that, you know, stuff you have to do. So it kind of it makes you legal, but you don't have all the overhead of a typical, you know, publicly traded stock.
0: hmm And I know one way that you've really got engaged in your community too is uh through agriculture. I mean, I, I remember when I visited at your uh factory, the uh I can't remember the time of year, but it felt like uh, you had chickens out there, but there was like a fight maybe to have them there. Uh, there was a, you know, big garden happening and you've expanded that at home and it's constantly expanding. Why do you, uh, it seems like you have a lot going on already. Why do you get your hands dirty? Why do you farm?
2: I like farming really. It's my stress relief. Uh, I farm cause I enjoy it. I'm glad I don't have to make a living at it cause it's hard as hell. Uh, you definitely understand the work that goes into farming. Um, but I enjoy doing it. Um, it connects me to another community. We have a very strong uh, local folk farming community, both on the vegetable and protein side. I live in a little farming community. So um, it's just, you know, it's again, uh, the value of food, the food is important to our health as an economic driver for our communities. And, you know, another thing that's happened, you know, I'm I'm the generation that's uh, broke a lot of things. We broke the food system. And, you know, we've created fast food that represents everything that's not good. It's not good for us personally. It's not good for the animals that, you know, die and go in that system. Um, It does nothing for local economies because it's a very, isn't it? You know, I'm sure you heard it. It's extractive economy. Extractive, extractive. extractive. We have built our economy on an extractive economy. And, again, that's why we have to look at a regenerative or circular economy as we rebuild because an extractive economy, that's what it's extractive. You know, once, at some point in time you extract, it all goes away. And that's what we have built. And what, what's I guess so frustrating too is how people um, even prior to COVID, you know, locally or nationally, they, 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 parked on two things, the unemployment rate and the stock market. And depending on where you participate in that, yeah, that can be a good numbers to look at. But in Alamance County, 3.2% unemployment, this is pre-COVID, God knows what it is now, 3.2%. But we had above the state average of people living below the poverty rate. So we had a lot, blah, blah, way, we had working poor. And um, again, I think you just got to have a better perspective of what's going on. And these people that, you know, advocate, let's go, you know, let's get back to business as usual, whatever. No business as usual. Yes, for a few benefited but I can tell you it was sucking for more and more people and for those that were benefiting what would have been they were basing it on an extractive economy so really um sooner or later might not catch it with those benefiting but uh, I know uh Jay do you have kids
1: yep 3 well, good they're all you. grown though
2: yeah well yeah. but still you want to leave something better for them than for you my wife and I do not have kids great wife of 30 plus years but no kids but we have responsibility and obligation while we're on this planet here to live in a better place. And damn it, we're doing everything we can to live in a worse place. And yeah. again, I like to tell these people that, you know, I've had a few friends that have been super, if you consider success by what's in their retirement account and the size of their house. Yes. Super. But it's, you know, you can't build the walls high enough and it's just not about the three of us. It's about the people that live in this world and, 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 um, uh, with all your travels, I'm sure you know the the poverty that you've seen would just blow our mind uh, compared to yeah, I, it you.
1: it really is seeing both sides of that right yeah. the the wealth the wealth that I see in the private equity <laughs> world as well as the sort of you know I work in the tech tech industry so you don't you know you don't have that sort of hourly um, underpaid hourly worker thing but um, uh, in the cities I go in you can see just the areas that are Depressed and don't have a way out, and it is something as you stepped into politics. I don't know how you can articulate or get people to think past, you know, the just sort of natural selfish motivation all of us have to building and, and, and have our stuff right while thinking globally, thinking locally, thinking all those things that that put the many before the few. Um, that's a challenge for you to articulate um, to get people to listen. I think.
2: You're right, I mean, the the area that I'm running for uh, this North Carolina House, let's just say it's a a very farming conservative community. Uh, It's been um, run it uh, uncontested uh, Republican as long as I can think of. Um, But the whole purpose, again, when the governor reached out and asked me to do this is, it's gonna be a long shot. I think it's still gonna be a long shot. You know, my wife and I were talking about the other day. uh, When I come to work, um, it's about 15 miles south here. um, You know, I pass a lot of Confederate flags. I pass a lot of Trump signs. Uh, That's going to be a a tough voter to get on my side because I had an interesting – I was doing what they call county to county, which is a phone bank. And suppose it's – they give you people to call that are in your district, and they're, you know, Democratic, they're on your side. So it's supposed to be very, anyway, somehow, some way, I got a hold of a guy that lives in Texas. He works for a a company, and obviously, right off the bat, you know, he's on the Trump side. But I made, I I kept that guy on the phone for an hour, you know, because I said, we have got to find a way to, to bridge this gap. And as I told the governor, I said, I'm not going to Raleigh. To make a career out of this, and I'm not going to rock. I might piss people off because I'm I want to solve some problems. And like I, you know, so obviously we've guy Texas, you know, the typical what you would hear on Fox News, you know, hates Nancy Tapelosi, uh, Sean Hannity's best place. I mean, all the stuff that just, you know, you gotta hold on and not hang up phone, but we work, I said work through it. So anyway, kind of be the guy bases in the um the crane business, puts up wind turbines. So we agreed on new renewable energy. We agreed on that fossil fuel is extractive. We agreed on that we have a broken health care sibling. So I said, let's let's agree on some stuff instead of immediately. No, he was ready to he was ready to, to, to fight me about the things like Nancy. I said, we're not going to get anywhere. I said, you know, I understand your you have your point. I have my point. We're not going to let's find some things to agree upon. So I think the, the, one of my main things I'm hoping that will come out of the, uh, this fall when we get to some type of um, – Debates and conversations, everything online is that it's just give people an alternative view of things because what they've had is one view. And, you know, when you run uncontested, you just basically sit at home and throw your money to other things and you win and go to Raleigh. So, uh, uh, Dennis, who I'll be running against, he's the company, he's actually my neighbor of mine, lives a mile down the road. Uh, I think we, we will have a very cordial, you know, I can't, you know, it's, I'm scared about the pack money that's going to come in to try to swing one of that but I think we'll have a call. But I just, I have a different view of Dennis. Um, and what I will say is I will state my view and what I believe in. And I've learned in business. I've learned in him. At the, end of the day, if you, if you support what Dennis supports, vote for Dennis. But I said, I want to give you an alternative that you haven't had. So uh, I think the farming perspective, um, I, I can really relate to the farmers. Um, and, you know, but that person that was probably going to pull that Trump lever um, is going to go Republican all the way down. So I, it's going to be tough to get. Although this guy, when I finished after 58 minutes, told me to live down in county vote for me. So wow. <laughs> my campaign manager was not very happy that I wasted that much time. But I so I said, Abby, I said, you know, we get in these bubbles. I think we're in a little bubble here. I got you know, I don't know Jay that well, but kind of feeling we're kind of going to agree more and disagree. but you got to give them that other side because you got to got to see that perspective and it's easy to kind of get in your little your bubble trap with that conversations yeah.
0: that's why i think it's so interesting talking to folks like you and, and also where we live where we're often not surrounded by people that necessarily see the world exactly like how we see it where i might have more progressive viewpoints that uh if i'm in um you know visiting uh ventura california or whatever like people kind of uh, you're surrounded by people who have have those viewpoints, but it's um, to try to understand the other side. It helps to know and love people who are uh, have a different political perspective, where you kind of have to have to make it work because you live right next to them. Um, right. One thing when I when I visited, uh, I don't remember how many years ago it's been now, maybe four or five years ago, is that I I know you had been asked before. To run for office and it, it always this always stuck with me because you um you know you talked you asked some questions about what that would mean uh like what that would take and it was like a lot of you would have to raise a lot of money yep and you would have to take a basically almost a, a, a job yep. that didn't pay very much money you'd have to right. travel all of that way and uh like how and it seems very inaccessible for the average person it, 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 for, it's inaccessible for someone like yourself who has a business and all these other interests I mean i 'm sure that 's why they ask you to run. It sounds like the governor asked you to run this time, but like yes. what what uh changed for you that pushed you into uh running, and then also, can you talk a little bit about just the um, the the barriers in place for the average person to become a state um, uh, in the state Congress to to make it to that point.
2: Well, why well, I decided to run, uh, you know, they, they came after me at twenty eighteen. That's why I wasn't running. And um, and as we looked at twenty twenty. I just felt like even this is before COVID, I decided basically in December to run. And I just think this this election this fall is going to be by far the most important election of our lifetime. Um, I mean, now with COVID, everything's on the line. Our economy's on the line, the environment's on the line, climate change on the line, everything. So I just felt like this is my time to – Step in. i got to step in and step it up. Uh, Where the hell am I going to find the time? I don't know. Um, It's amazing how with with COVID you think, well, I can't do that, and now I'm having multiple Zoom meetings going on with you guys, the one over there I hear talking about. Uh, It just – you know, I'm fortunate to be on this. I'm 63. I love to be my great-grandfather. I lived to 100. Who knows? Might get run over today or whatever. But, but damn it, I'm just so concerned – how far things have gotten off track in regards to our environment, a economy that works for everybody, not for a few. Um, That's got to step in and do something. So um it is – I'm running for North County House, which is, quote, say, part-time. You know, we'll see how part-time works. It pays a great amount of $13,000 a year. So this goes back we you're saying this is an example how broken our – Our political system is, first of all, you have to run as a a Democrat or Republican. And as I told them when they recruited me, I will definitely run Democrat. I'm not always going to agree with the party, but there is no way possible that you can run as independent because you don't have the infrastructure support. I mean, you could if you just had more money, more time. which Like the voter list and all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, they have all the information. So if you had enough money like Bloomberg did, yeah, you can do that. But I'm not in that situation. And the second thing is the minimum budget that I had to show them to run is a hundred thousand dollars. And so you get to the next problem. I don't have the hundred thousand dollars. My wife would, you know, actually, you know, she told me to run, you have to assure me you can spend your time, but you cannot put any of our personal money into this campaign. she said, you have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to keep TS designs going by, you know, foregoing pay, taking less pay or what, she will not. So I said, fine, I'll do that. So you get you the problem. You're going out there and asking for money. Well, when you ask people for money, guess what? They won't access. So, <laughs> so you take this is this is a little bit of Alamance County, hundred thousand dollar budget. So you see the problem you get when you get up to, you know, the federal government. It is so ripe for corruption because it takes so much money um, to participate. So it's just a, another thing that that needs to be addressed it's gotten so broken you know we we need term limits we need uh, situations where we we put a you know i like i think vermont does it not only they put a, a cap on the amount of money but basically the feds i mean the state says when you run you get x dollars and that's it so i don't care so because what we need to do you either run because you have access to money or you have money mm-hmm. so what that does that excludes it most people because most people are going to be intimidated trying to raise hundred thousand dollars. And fortunately, you know my ideas that I take from my business move very easily over to what I believe in in government. And so it's easy. So I'm I'm able to go out to my network. It was definitely easy before COVID to make that call. Um, it's a whole different situation now because the people I'm calling are business owners or business leaders or whatever. And you don't go asking those people for money when their business is going down a tank. So um it's it COVID's impacted our campaign. But we're we've got some money. We're there to November. Um and we're we'll gonna see this thing through. Yeah, that's great. Uh if people want to support your campaign, how where do they find more information about it? Oh man, I always do that. Uh Eric for NC dot com, E R I C for NChouse.com. I'm connected to App Blue. Um $5, $10, you know, we'll take it. Uh, I appreciate it. But it's, um, you know, we, matter of fact, we, our, we had a full-time campaign manager and she went halftime. I mean, you know, uh, mm. money, money's crazy. And I, and I told all they, you know, they constantly remind, you know, how much, how many people you call how much money you ask? And I says, you know, if I can build into conversations like this, fine, I'm glad to do it. But for me to get on the phone and call people up and ask for money, I says, I'm just, you know, that's just not what happened right now.
0: Uh well, to kind of wrap things up, uh, kind of a higher level, I, I don't, it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately about kind of, um, m- my evolution of thinking and, and feeling about life and, and my relation to the world and, and people. And, um, and I just want to throw it out there to see if you relate to it at all or you have okay. a, a different experience and Jay, you chime in too. Um, like in my in my twenties, I felt like and this might be completely natural. there might be some theory out there already on this, but in my twenties, I kind of felt like um like I was the center of of the world like uh, it was about me, even the stories that I wrote were about me having adventures in the world and in my thirties i and, and you know I had two kids in my thirties uh and and got more engaged in the community, and I felt like in my thirties, I started to feel more about like. What was important to me were focusing on others. And so I've just stepped into my 40s. So it's kind of hard for me to say exactly what what it feels like. But lately I've been kind of involved into this area where um, I feel, um, you know, I've seen poverty around the world in in my own community, uh, seen the inequality, and um, I've I've come to realize the the one thing that we all share is the environment and and the the climate uh, justice is Uh, the the changing climate impacts the people who are least able to adapt to it and just all those things. So, you know, as I I feel like my worldview is going from me to kind of others, to kind of this more global level, and it has enhanced my connection with, with people and just, and just the environment too. And I I don't know if you guys had a, a, is that a sim is that a common path or, and where, where does it go next? Do I suddenly become a, uh, one with the universe. What's happening here?
1: I, you know, Kelsey, uh, and I'll I'll let Eric close us out there. But I have had a very similar epiphany, and I've often told people, that your twenties. And I think the reason it feels that way is your twenties. You're trying to establish, right? You, uh, you know, I didn't I didn't own a nice couch. I didn't have any furniture past what my parents gave me. I didn't have a, you know, I was using one of my parents' cars. So you spend your twenties trying to build those things up, so you feel stable. And then you're able to start thinking about it. It's like, I don't know, maybe we need to come up with something. It's like the Maslow's hierarchy of needs in a, in a, in the Western world, right? Which, you know, we, we, we try to establish and build stability for ourselves. And then we find out we're trying to build a a stability for our families. And then we're able to look past that point, I think, and, um, um, and I think that speaks to why when people don 't feel stable for themselves and their families that they never get past that point mm. right because they 're still at the bottom side of that pyramid think like it 's kind of a privilege to be able to oh, uh, absolutely able to yeah for sure that's level. and i you know i think that 's why we see um, a lot of retirees being able to volunteer and spend more time helping other people as they 've been through all those steps and they 've yeah. you know not everyone but they've've they 've they've got their nest egg in a way that they can begin to to focus on people other than themselves
0: so eric you're a few years ahead of me what does the future hold where where next what is what on, on this journey of uh connection and awareness
2: well i think it goes back to saying think globally act locally um but i do find it interesting and in, um i don't know how old jay is jay is probably somewhere between the two of us um and you know having um I have maintained a lot of relationships with people I went to college with in a fraternity and how those relationships uh, evolve from their perspective. And again, I'm not saying theirs is right or mine's right or wrong, whatever, but, but, but people definitely as they get older, definitely go down different paths. And, um, you know, uh, one path is a more, I guess you'd say conservative path where, um, you know, I've worked hard. I deserve, this is mine. And you need to go get your own. And um, uh, re- sometimes i would say resistant to change, going back to the way it used to be. Um, and then I'm hoping that I'm always, you know, a I definitely don't have all the answers. Uh, the answers lie within your community. I hope I'm willing to listen and to change. Um, but it's um, it's it's challenging. Uh, because it just and again, what, what drives me, as I said earlier, is that you know, I saw a lot of uh destruction locally and globally happen, so I want to try to be a part of that fix, but then also understanding, um, you know, that's um, like that guy from Texas I talked the other day. I mean, he's his perspective is completely different than mine, and he's he was a similar age, kids, and everything. And he's a, I think represent himself as a good family man and cared about his family. Um, and the things that I believe are true, he believes are not true when it comes to things like climate change or the whole COVID thing. So, um, it's, it's, it's frustrating that we thought we would have access to more information via the internet, things that we're doing to connect more people. It's actually put us more into silos. Yeah. And, um, you know, we got to find a way to break out of these silos. But uh, uh, you know, it's it's yeah. I, I, the, I'd say the path you're on is the right path. You're you're becoming more open and exposed and aware, and I think that's a good thing. Compared, to I've seen people have continued to contract down, and um, and yeah, but and, you know, then yeah. also I've
0: had. Uh, I mean, looking at it from like a privileged perspective, I've had the opportunities to have experiences that have kind of led to that connection and to that awareness and um so um but you know i've really uh really enjoyed this conversation jay had to jump off to probably another zoom meeting and i know that you've got one to get to and uh i just you know again just love watching your journey and all the different things like oh my gosh now rick has a farm and he's he's growing he's growing a bigger garden he's getting his garden ready for next year and uh, I've started to garden a lot more and, and try to think a little bit more regeneratively. And so definitely uh, for all those things and all the work you're doing in the community and all the hard work that's ahead of you. And for all of us with in
2: the wake of COVID, um, like you're definitely good people, man. I really appreciate you coming on. Well, Kelsey, thank you for the opportunity. Stay in touch. And once we get on the other side of this, maybe we can do a face to face and enjoy a cold beer together. Oh man, I would love that. It'd be great. Okay.
1: Well, that was Eric. Um, Fun interview, great accent, Kelsey. What, uh, what you think? You've yeah, I
0: mean, could listen to him talk all day. Uh, great kind of southern accent, a little bit. Um, I mean, Eric is such a good guy. He's someone I really look up to. Um, I really appreciated kind of the long scope of his of his journey, and we talked about this a little bit in the, in the in the interview. You know, how do you give in your twenties and how you give in your thirties, and how you give in your forties, like what, what is important to you? And I continue to see that evolve in myself. You know, Eric was a young entrepreneur that his entrepreneurial like um, success kind of pulled him away from school and then um, you know, he was employing people and, and you know, that's the way that makes a difference. And then as he started to plant more roots, he saw the pain in his community, which I think pain and loss plays a lot of part of how people choose to, to give. And, um, and Jay, as we were get, trying to record this, my internet, um, went out and that's part of the, um, uh, what rural communities need, like reliable mm-hmm. internet. And, and, you know, I'm sure that's something that Eric is focusing in on as, he, as he's thinking about running for office, And but the cooperatives that he's been a part of and the community that he's built up and, um, you know, that, that was a part of his journey and just his individual, whether it's his, his farming uh, for, the, for the planet, for his community, whether it's the type of car that he drives. And now, even though he's doing all those things, he's um, trying to raise a bunch of money so he can get a job that would pay him $13,000 a year to right. so <laughs> represent his community at the state house in, in North Carolina. So yeah. I, he wants this, to be impactful. I love to see that kind of evolution that people take because uh, I'm curious about it because I feel like I'm on it myself where you're 20s or you're more like focused on yourself in your 30s. Like I had it, my first child in was 30s to thinking about the community and you start to think about the world that they're growing up in. And my 40s, I feel like now I'm um, uh, just growing more concerned about more things and also more connected to more things mm-hmm. as well and finding more purpose and meaning the, the older I get.
1: I think it is the the natural path. Uh, I think I talked about it a little bit in there, but you do spend your 20s trying to figure out how how you afford a car and what job you're going to get and getting a house and, oh, wait, I don't have any furniture, but what my parents gave me, I need to buy a couch. You have kids, your, your view broadens. And I think as your kid's age, you get a little bit more freedom. I'm not saying that people don't make sacrifices before that, but you get more freedom to make sacrifices to do this sort of work and have the time it takes to do some of this. And he's a great example of someone who has really taken that in so many different directions. And even now he's certainly going to work for whatever tiny amount of money that is for the amount of work he'll do is a sacrifice. And he's doing it for the betterment of his community because he cares about those people. And I, I would bet in that town he's well known and and liked. Um, uh, But there is this sort of flash in the pan mentality and I already feel it. As we said at the beginning of the episode, this is, Interview was recorded <clears throat> pre-protests, um, and now we're post. But um, it feels like some of that stuff's off the headlines now, right? Um, it doesn't mean that our intention should stop. But um, how do you do something longer and sustainable and more connected? And you talked about roots that are ten thousand years old. How do we how do we create something that sticks around and, and grows and and helps the soil, literally and
0: figuratively, for for that long? Mm-hmm. It's not on Instagram. Yeah. I mean, systemic racism, for example, is right. not going to be fixed overnight. It's going to be yeah. fixed over um, you know, many terms of elections and, and leaders and community movements and efforts. And and I mean, it probably will you know, maybe never be fixed, but hopefully yeah. it, things become a little bit more, a lot more just. And, um, and so I wonder sometimes if the, the the short-term outrage that we can experience the day-to-day that the media sucks us into uh, that is, like, obviously some type of, like, sugar for our brains or the the crazy shit that the president said or did. and um, If that can sometimes distract us from the the long-term work, um, that maybe, you know, signing a change.org petition is, like, good, and I've done it (laughs) recently. But, like, we just can't run from short-term thing to short-term thing What are like long-term things that we're working on to help, um, those in our communities, uh, in our society that are less fortunate, uh, to help the, that's the, my thing with climate change is like, I feel like it's such a, it's a slow moving ship and it's hard to see a lot of progress on that for people. And it still seems like a distant problem. Uh, how could we ever work to address it? Um, so I mean I, I feel like I've been focused on long term things. I've been working on a book project right now on regenerative agriculture that has definitely been slowed down by all this. But that that feels really important to me. Um, the, the facing project we're putting together just in a couple of days. Uh, actually, this Saturday dropping an episode where we talked to a, a local leader with Tasha Barnes Griffin, who's um, uh, a black woman and and a leader in our community, and she shared her story as a child and. Uh, yesterday I was editing stories from Dayton Gun Violence Project, which involved like um, the shooting that happened at the the Oregon District in, in Dayton, and, and you know, that felt really important, but not something you just in two seconds do. Like it's taken months and months and months to do. Yeah. And, you know, Tough then there's, stories like, too. Oh, yeah. yeah, but but it feels meaningful. It feels important. It feels like being a part of a long-term conversation, not just a uh tweet storm Um, right and then like you know we got bees and chickens and gardening and sometimes that can feel and i think maybe 20 year old me like well that's just selfish like you're just focusing on things on yourself but then you think about the impact that bees make you think about consuming less industrially produced chicken eggs and and think about introducing our kids to um animals and and the realities of that and what it takes to raise them and and uh, planning a garden and and get sharing that food with other people to show like hey this is food that tastes a little bit better than the grocery store and a lot of people are getting into gardening now um it's hard to find hoops for my tomatoes i need some more and um, (laughs) that stuff feels like really important right now and it's longer term stuff
1: yeah, I think it is. I think you know, there's a. Um, I won't quote it exactly, but there's a Buddhist saying, and it's a it's a very Buddhist ideal that you start with yourself first, right? You don't want to go to war, solve the wars within yourself. You want to find peace, find peace within yourself. Um, so it's okay. I think the answer is is both. You you have to do those things, right? I, you know, your your uh, chicken project and you know your lead rooster Jerry is a really <laughs> Important part of you—you you not working and spending time with Harper and Griffin and Annie, and you know, and uh, uh, showing them and teaching them. Um, there is there is a global part of that, sure, but um, that's that's good for you, and it brings you peace. It helps you f- find your way, and it makes you more peaceful when you go do these other outreach uh, um, activities, and those are all impactful too, right? So. I think the answer for everybody is, is it's all right to do both. Make sure you're starting with yourself though. Or um, I, it feels like to me that there's a great number of our population that we'd be a lot better off if they just started with themselves and not, uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right. Um, it's, then, it's so don't, easy don't to
0: really? simply by the short term though. I feel like it's, yeah, we need to do both. You know, we need to be sharing and spreading messages and signing change.org petitions, which is a really good one. in in our community, right now with very specific ask of the community of the police officers and of the uh, police force and of the government. Um, but you can just get, do nothing but that too. It's easy to get sucked away from the long-term stuff. And I think what Eric's journey shows us, it's like this long-term relationship building and doing work in your community and being an example for other people that um, that's going to be a longer like to make more of an impact, and um, right. If we just get distracted and focus on the short-term things, yeah. So, do yep. you think you ever run for run for office, Jay? No, I can't imagine. I, I in
1: my brain, I could I could like the altruism of it, uh, trying to help in government, which I do believe in a well-run government. I think they have a very strong place in our society, but would I do it? I don't know. How about you? I could see you going for governor
0: or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, I I don't think I'll ever do it, but um, I think if you'd asked me 10 years ago, I would have been like an emphatic, like, hell no. Why would anyone ever want to Mm. do that? But then, you know, you, you do community work and, and and sometimes you feel like the, maybe the needle isn't being moved that much because of the system that's in place, um, because of certain barriers uh, that are in place, and and how do those barriers change? Well, it's often through like policy and laws, and so I could see how people evolve into wanting to run, um, yeah, because they're trying to do the work, and then they come up against something that. They, they can't, they can't change. Um, mm-hmm. uh, they can put, you know, the you write so many letters to your representatives and try to put pressure and try to express your opinions. But eventually you're just like, screw it. I'm going to run and I'm going to be that change or try to make that change to the system from within that system. So I'll, I, I, yeah. I get it.
1: Yeah. It feels like that's just the beginning of a trend. I mean, 2016, certainly, there, there have been more um, women running for office. Um, you know, something like 10x what it was in, in, you know, 2012 or whatever other election cycle. So, um, hopefully, we'll begin to see a regular diversity of candidates and and people coming up, you know, from from various places to to run and make a difference. Um, maybe it won't be the same old set of rich. Political science businessmen that do this work, but people that live, you know, um, right now on the edges um, that might be able
0: to impact and uh, change the change the way things work. I think we're already starting to see that. Yeah, even despite the whole system being against that. I mean, are you kidding me? Eric has to raise the amount of money he has to raise. Right. For a job that'll pay thirteen thousand, and like, how could you afford to have a job when you're going to the state house quite a lot? I imagine. Driving that distance, paying for gas. Of course, Eric has an electric car, so he's just paying for electricity, electricity, which is a little bit cheaper. But um, you know, so how did that system needs change too? And but the more likely, it's it's more likely to happen when we get um, kind of these folks in office now who are running against a system that's rigged against them that hopefully can kind of change it to make it more uh democratic <laughs> more equitable accessible. right yeah. yeah
1: or more representative of actual people right it's yeah. the, it's the middle of the bell curve that is not to being representative represented that, well now
0: the billionaire president you know like the the billionaire presidential candidates i mean the yeah. democratic candidates too there were several billionaires and michael bloomberg and you're like man is this our new trend do you yeah. have to be a billionaire to yeah. be president. And that seems like that's not a good idea. What
1: if you and I pooled our money and
0: then ran as president, and vice wow. president? We'll have uh, whatever money you have. <laughs> <laughs> we won't have a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm a, I'm a thousandaire, Jay. So. Oh, that's awesome. Me too. That's, yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> you can buy a button. There you go. Yeah. Buy one For us. Yeah. Well, um, I'm glad you got a chance to to meet Eric. Uh, hope we can chat with him again. I hope he does well. I hope he wins. Yeah, uh, we certainly will do a
1: follow up. So, I hope he does too.
0: And uh, it was nice to meet him. Thanks for the introduction. All right, Jay. We'll take care until next time.
1: Yep. Till next time. See you, Kelsey.
0: Hey, this is Kelsey. Just chiming in right here at the end. Uh, I realized I uh, was editing the show here. I hadn't shared any of Eric's links. So if you're uh, interested in supporting Eric, learn more about his campaign or, or, or viewpoints, you can go to eric4nchouse.com. That's the, his campaign. And if you're interested in his company that is very involved right now in making masks and shirts, dirt to shirt in North Carolina, you can go to tsdesigns.com. Thanks for listening to the Good People Podcast. Special thanks to my friend Jay Mormon for co-hosting and to Cliff Ritchie for the great tunes. You can listen to Cliff on Spotify or find him at cliff, R-I-T-C-H-E-Y, art.com. Let's keep the good going. Please share, rate, and subscribe. We'd love to hear from you. Visit kelseytimmerman.com slash good people to find show notes, suggest guests, learn more about my books, and tell us about the good you are doing in the world.